Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuscaspo. Uh, well, guys, uh, we have flipped the calendar to August. Um, we had Big Ten Media Week last week. Um, a lot of news still happening. Uh, there's still a lot going on uh, that is, you know, still coming. And, and there's a lot more coming with regards to the hazing scandal and uh, the lawsuits and everything that we've been talking about for the for the past three weeks. Um, there's just not a whole lot new for us to really kind of sink our teeth in. It just seems to be more of the same. So, um, you know, in the interest of not spending all day talking about Colorado moving to the Big 12 or the potential Pac-12 dissolving of whatever might be coming. And, you know, as as we're recording this on the evening of August 1st, there might be breaking news as we in the middle of recording that Arizona might be going. I don't know. It's all it's all weird. It's all crazy. There's so there's it's it's crazy time. But we are a month away from the start of college football season. The 2023 season is beginning. Uh, Northwestern practice, uh, fall practice starts up this week. Uh, David Braun will begin his tenure as interim head coach. And there's a schedule that, that we need to we need to talk about. I mean, normally at this point, we would have been most of the way through our offseason previews. Uh, obviously, that is not happening for, like I say, obvious reasons. But uh, I think at this point, we want to kind of go through the Northwestern schedule. Um, much condensed version. We're not going to go as deep as we normally do, especially because a, a big part of what we do in our previews is kind of look at how the, our opponents kind of match up against us. There's still over a week to go before the uh, transfer portal uh, closes for the cats and you know we're a lot in motion lots changing so what we're going to do uh tonight is go through the first half of the northwestern schedule the first six games and just kind of touch base with uh with all of the teams on our schedule here uh just to you know kind of get them in you know front of mind a little bit you know kind of Refresh our memories on on what we're what we might be looking at. Um, you know, touch base with the the non cons as, as they were, and uh, you know, start looking ahead to opening week in Piscataway against Rutgers. So, um, before we dive into that, guys, anything burning uh, on in the front of your guys's uh, minds right now? No, I just I think we've gotten you know a couple of folks have, have asked like hey is it, you know we we'd love to still still hear some previews and I you know we we've been doing this for a long time we we have said a number of times over the past few weeks you know we we plan to be at Ryan Field and supporting this team et cetera so this is um, this is how we do it and uh, it's going to look a little, look look a little different than it has in the past and certainly when there's you know reason to to talk about some of those other other ongoings uh, and happenings with the with the scandal etc we'll do that but for now we're gonna uh talk some opponents and um as as we often do with at least the big 10 ones probably probably opine a little bit on where we think they're gonna they're gonna perform you know throughout the season not just how they match up with northwestern but that's our uh that's how we do this that's our plan yeah they're i mean just from a logistical perspective 
for those of you who've been listening for a long time, you probably know this, but like probably a lot of sports, like podcasts and sports media, whatever you want to call us, the dead of summer is kind of like, generally speaking, usually like a, a light period or a dead period. And we, you know, we've always leaned into our Big Ten previews and we'll do a lot of front end prep on those, lay everything out for the teams, and then we'll kind of release those in packages, record them in packages. And, and that's how we work our way through the summer until like the big buildup. And obviously that was all totally flipped on its head. So yeah, we're going to first half of the schedule. What you're going to be getting from us here is effectively a compressed version with each, each of the first six teams of what you would be getting. So you're not really missing anything. You'll, you know, for all of our offense, defense, everything that we pull out from all of our research, you're effectively going to take, get that and then get it compressed so that we can fit this tight time frame that we're working on to try to get us from this point to the start of the season. Uh, so as we mentioned, uh, we're starting the season off with a game nationally televised, uh, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock uh, Central Time on CBS. Uh, we're heading, like I say, heading out to Piscataway to take on Rutgers. Um, uh, John, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? Uh, tell us about the Rutgers defense. Before we, before we do the defense, can we just like, what 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 a way to uh, to capture the the prime time Sunday market. <laughs> For college, for the Big Ten with Northwestern Rutgers to kick off the season, who well, oh boy? It's not prime time. It's not prime time. I'm it's sorry, not prime time. It's, it's, yes, you know, the, noon, the, noon Eastern, the, 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 but, the uh, normal kickoff window for NFL. Uh, I, the week I before just NFL say, starts. Yeah, Big Ten. These are the kind of Titanic cross division matchups that we're going to lose when divisions are scrapped. And I just, you know, <laughs> pour one out. East versus West, Titanic. Anyway, um, so, you know, I'm glad we can find a little bit of levity here. Yeah. With Rutgers, Rutgers historically has been a source of levity for us because they tend to be really bad. Um, and with the defense, there's always kind of been a, a little bit of a misconception with that, especially over the past like three or four years because Rutgers – at the end of the day, on f- on the field, does not get the defensive production you know that you'd expect from even an average defense, and that's le- led to a misconception. Basically, like Rutgers defense is bad. Rutgers doesn't have any any good players, and that's not true in one really specific way, especially over the past let's say five years. Rutgers always has good linebackers, not like a good linebacker. They usually have three at once. That the rest of the conference is like, those are good linebackers. And that's been true in recent history, and it's definitely true this year. This year, the trio is going to be Deion Jennings and Tyree Powell and Muhammad Torre, who missed most of last season with injury, but he's expected to be back. That's an awesome trio. A lot of teams in the Big Ten would give a lot to have those be their three linebackers. It's just the Rutgers really isn't good anywhere else on defense. They're below average in the secondary, and they are quite bad on the defensive line. Now, again, <clears throat> on the defensive line or the secondary, they're not horrible. It's not a nightmare, but they're nowhere near good. Um, and you basically have all of that just well below average talent surrounding the linebacker core. And it has ever been thus with Rutgers. That's how you have the number 10 run defense in the Big Ten with linebackers who are this good. So if you look at the overall production of this defense, 
It's actually very similar in a lot of ways to what Ohio State rolled out on D last year. So you can kind of look at this like bizarre funhouse mirror situation and be like, look, if instead of having an absolute god offense last year, Ohio State had an offense that like backed a truck over the defense, it would have looked a lot like what Rutgers went through. So, I mean, relative to Northwestern, as we said off the top, it's hard to know like exactly like... It's it's all going to be like obviously this totally rejiggered offensive line that we're going to have that we still even now like don't know exactly how those pieces are going to come together. It's going to come out of the gate against a pretty weak defensive line. But if it can't neutralize and step up against that defensive line, these linebackers are just going to feast. So like that's that's kind of where we are. You could be looking at a lot worse, but these linebackers are going to make you pay if the offensive line's not gelling and is not getting out to them. Uh, so, Scuzz, um, how about uh, the Rutgers offense? Well, um, it is... Uh, it's interesting. There's, and there's a little bit of Northwestern flavor in here as well that I'll, that I'll hit on. So, last year, Rutgers offense hit a three-year low. Uh, they fired their offensive coordinator, who... Uh, and that was, what, five games into the season, and that offensive coordinator was now NU offensive assistant, um, or analyst, I'm sorry, is the, is the correct term, uh, offensive analyst, Sean Gleason. And Gleason comes from uh, Oklahoma State previously, where he, you know, learned under Mike Gundy. And um, I can say unequivocally that his offenses at Rutgers never looked like Oklahoma State's. Um, but they were dramatically better than what had preceded him. And the, the real culprit of, of why they you know, face-planted last season was a true freshman quarterback. Uh, forever starter Noah Vidral, who you may remember from such things as, as Nebraska like four years ago and UCF before that, um, uh, he was injured in camp. And so they turned it to uh, Gavin Wimsett, who is a really highly rated uh, freshman prospect quarterback. He has a ton of physical skills, but he looked catastrophic in real life. I think his completion percentage last year was like 44%. Um, so that was really bad. That's that's basically what fell apart um, for Rutgers. And they're, uh, they're trying to put the band back together this year. They've got um, a really experienced offensive line. They've got solid running backs. They usually do have solid running backs, kind of like those linebackers John mentioned. That's that's typically the strength of their offense. Um, it's going to be a solid platform for Gavin to build off of. This is easily the best quarterback recruit, like prospect that Rutgers has had in in my living memory. Um, there is not much at wide receiver though. Uh, they have a former quarterback Johnny Langan who switched to tight end, but there is nobody else with um, either recruiting pedigree or proven production. So it's, you know, we'll, we'll see how things come together in offense. It's not going to be um, great out the gate. Making it even more interesting is the new offensive coordinator is Kirk Chiraka. Um, he is making his third Big Ten stop. Big Ten Barnacle, Kirk Chiraka. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I really don't know why he left Minnesota again. Uh, that's just a strange thing that we'll probably never, never truly understand or, or, or know why. But um, I'll say based on his tenure with Minnesota, his first tenure with Minnesota, and then his tenure with, with Penn State, it is going to take Rutgers uh, and especially a green quarterback uh, more than one offseason to get up to speed running his scheme effectively. Um, that being said, like I would expect them to be heavily running the RPO game. Um, 
when they when when Northwestern meets them in the fall. Um, albeit maybe they're going to make a lot of mistakes, and Northwestern is just going to have to capitalize on that. Uh, so you're saying Tanner Morgan isn't getting a 15th year of eligibility to do a, like a PhD grad transfer to Rutgers for another year under Shiraka? Thank God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so that's kind of Rutgers. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that typically they're they're the bottom of the East, and you know, this being the last year of East and West. Uh, what what do we make of Rutgers this year? Like, what what are we thinking here? I think they're going mean, to be bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, carp. I mean, not to put the cart before the horse here, but like this is going to end at this this particular set of teams that we're doing tonight is going to end at Howard and this is the probably the best thing you're going to see until we get to Howard like it's aside from Indiana you couldn't really ask for a better team in the Big Ten for us to be starting off against it's by no means perfect it's really the best you could ask for um I mean it like Scuzz said I mean there's not for example Rutgers as Scott said, has a really seasoned offensive line going up against a defensive line that, again, we'll have some new pieces, but it's been an absolute mess. Rutgers' own defensive line was bad, but it wasn't where our defensive line was last season, and they're matching up against a offensive line we're very much figuring out. So it's not perfect in any way, but like... I'll, I would for sure take our back seven over Rutgers back seven, and that's even with Rutgers linebackers. We just have a lot of pieces back there. So, again, it's like it's you – there is no perfect answer to the question, who can we start off with in the Big Ten? It This is a pretty good scenario. Yeah, I, 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 I'm really going to hesitate trying to – Think think about what North like I, I need to know what Northwestern looks like before I can really do that and there's just there's mm-hmm. just too much time left that, that that things might change but I think like I'll say this so we did we did two we did preview we previewed Michigan State and Indiana in our typical fashion uh, before the the scandal and and the fit stuff all broke uh, a couple weeks ago those previews like they may never see the light of day but like TLDR those teams are both really bad especially Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. Those they, they are sitting on my hard drive. You yeah, know, I, we could we could put them up. I don't know. Maybe like nah. if you want a Patreon or something. But but my point is is that Rutgers is is like Rutgers and in Indiana are very likely the bottom two in the conference. There's nothing that you heard from either John and I that would that would change that perspective. I think Indiana, like for my money, Indiana's probably got a bit more upside, but is starting from like a worse. A worse, lower position, um, and I'd like th- these teams are not going to be good. They're they are not in the mix at all to compete in the East or even to knock off uh, or cause problems for other teams in the East. I I would say too, like just to put a bone, like you have seen in recent history, a Northwestern football team kind of handily handle Rutgers in a season that was otherwise awful when that Rutgers team had really good linebackers because Northwestern handled the trenches. And, like, that's the thing. It's like Northwestern's got this running start with this crazy situation that, like Scuzz was saying, makes it hard to even look at this. But, like, if you want to get to Rutgers, that's how you that's how you can do it. So hopefully, like, the, you know, O-line comes together in some way, um, get a healthy dose of the back if that's Cam Porter, et cetera, and, and then, you know, we kind of go from there. But But, yeah, we'll see. Uh, following our uh, opening r- weekend game against Rutgers, we come home for our home opener 
as we take on the UTEP Miners. Um, yeah, I think the only the only thing I really have to say about UTEP is, you know, because you and I have been to their stadium. Um, Indeed. <laughs> uh, for, they for that, sold me beer there. They probably they, shouldn't they have. Did. Well, they, they they sold you beer before, during, and after the game, and you know <laughs> it was it, it was necessary. Um, you know, as we ran into our conference foe UCLA in the Sun Bowl back in uh, two thousand five. But uh, yeah, I mean UTEP coming in and uh, you know don't have a lot on them. But uh, John, let's let's talk about their D. I mean, again, as as we kind of said, Rutgers is where kind of the fun stops because is UTEP. You know, in, in a lot of ways, if you look at like from a raw talent perspective, are they probably somewhere in the Rutgers like vicinity? Yeah. But I know a lot of you are out there being like, if if we're getting two or more wins, win number two is UTEP. And it's going to be tricky. There's no way around it. Um, if you don't know much about UTEP, and, and as Sam alluded to, a lot of us don't, one of the big things with them is like, they are that grandmother in the casino in the Golden Nugget at 7 a.m. pulling that one-arm bandit, pulling that slot machine every year, hoping for the triple sevens. And the one-armed bandit that they are pulling is the JUCO system, okay? These guys stack up JUCO signees. I think the over the last two classes, UTEP has signed 52 guys in the last two recruiting classes. Those kind of numbers are only sustainable if you're turning over guys like crazy, and that's JUCO, and that's what they're doing. But just know that from UTEP's perspective, if they hit that JUCO jackpot this year, they could easily win 10 games. And that's because this year, and maybe this year only, is kind of a scheduling perfect storm for them because the Conference USA was just gutted last year. Everyone who beat UTEP last year left Conference USA. And UTEP won five games. But everyone who beat them last year left Conference USA. And UTEP's uh, non-con has Northwestern and Arizona, two of the worst teams from the Power Five from last year, on their non-con. So legit, their hardest games might be Incarnate Word and Liberty next year. So it's a big year for UTEP if things come together for them. They definitely do not suck. I know they're power five, but they present all kinds of problems. They had the number one total defense in Conference USA last year. Now, they basically lose all the pass rush off of that defense, but they return all of the good pieces against the run. So that starts with Tyrese Knight. The big thing about Tyrese Knight, Tyrese Knight is considered to be one of the best linebackers playing in the state of Texas for any college right now. Texas A&M would start him. Texas would start him. He's considered to be awesome. Kobe Hilton at safety behind him could be a first-team Conference USA safety this year. And Keenan Stewart at defensive tackle would have a very, very, very good chance for of, of starting for Northwestern if he was our defensive tackle right now, okay? Um, so the big thing, though, is all those guys that I just named, are all former JUCO guys because that's what UTEP's doing. They're bringing guys in, looking for guys to hit, and turning them over, and that's it. They have those three guys. If they find any more guys on the defensive side of the ball, particularly like a defensive end or a corner that hit for them, they're going to have a good defense this year, and they're going to be trouble for us. 
Um, what, what do we make of the, the minor oaths, Gus? I want everybody listening to, um, if you have one, like pause and take a sip of your alcoholic beverage. <laughs> if, you, if you don't, maybe sit down, just gird yourself. In, unless you're driving, please be careful while driving. We do not uh, condone drinking and driving at the same time. Let's be very, very clear about that. Yeah, may, may, maybe pull over. I just like I'm I'm really worried about like the whiplash effect and the PTSD of like past Northwestern non-conference rigmarole. Yeah. Um, so UTEP's head coach is Dana Dymo, who spent nine years as the offensive coordinator under Bill Snyder at Kansas State. If you're not that familiar with Kansas State and that doesn't worry you on its own, couple that fact with Conference USA's number one offensive line, featuring four returning all-conference players. So all those teams that left the conference, like these guys were still awesome when they were still in the conference last year. Um, A stable of good or uh, good to better running backs. Um, An experienced senior quarterback entering his fourth year as the starter and his favorite 1,000-yard receiver returning from last year. Said another way, this is a gritty team that is going to run the ball with a variety of dudes from a variety of looks behind an excellent offensive line with a super experienced and proven quarterback-wide receiver tandem to either keep the defense honest or punish them when they key too hard on the run. This is not going to be fun. Uh, Yes, the overall talent profile is Conference USA, but the makeup and the coaching of this team can 1,000% score a lot of points on a lower half Big Ten defense. Yeah, it ain't great. It ain't good. So uh, we, don't, we don't need to go into the, the you know what we feel about them kind of overall. I do just want to mention it's going to be their third game. Uh, they've got a week zero game against Jacksonville State, and then they play Incarnate Word. Uh, before coming to Northwestern. So they'll have two games under their belt. I mean, everybody um, says yeah. the UTEP incarnate word game is like just they, they come out of that. They're so beaten up from the physical difficulty and just like the, the tension those two teams have like. Whew. Yeah, they're I mean, I think back to Western Michigan, the PJ Fleck Western Michigan team, the Northwestern played in that first week and obviously like that team, like this UTEP team, does not have that kind of talent on that team. But the common thread is it was known coming into that season that Western Michigan was looking at having a really, really special year for that school, and that impacted them. <clears throat> UTEP doesn't have that level of talent. But again, if you look at their schedule, UTEP hung it on a bunch of crappy teams that year, and crappy teams is most of Conference USA now. So they're looking and being like, we see a lot of wins on this schedule. And I mean, you know, from think from UTEP's perspective, his, like when they look back 10 years in the future, if they put up nine, 10 wins, beat Arizona, beat Northwestern, like that's the kind of year they're looking at right now. So this one, it could be a lot better. This is a team that's going to be no fun for us to have to handle it for our first home game. Uh, speaking of no fun, um, yeah, let's yeah. Take well, as, as, as we approach perhaps the low point of uh, of tonight's preview episode, uh, let's let's go to week three, um, where we head out to play Duke, um, a Duke Why? team that has just Why? had Why? our goat. I mean, th- this team just owned us the past several times we played, and you know times where we should have been rolling all over them, and then 
you know, la- last year we were very, very confident uh, that we were better than Duke. And oh boy, was that not the case. And now we get to go there. So, uh, John, this, let's, I mean, let's talk Duke D. Could absolutely be the best Duke team we've seen. <laughs> I think that's on the table. Um, so, this is the kind of thing where, again, we from the logistical stuff that we were talking about earlier. I mean, like in the Duke pre- preview, I was planning on doing this summer. Like, I really went deep on on this setup, and, and I'm really going to compress this. But the basic idea is there's kind of two parts to this for, on the defense. There's the the bad news in terms of the fact that Duke is just suddenly way better on D in every single phase, um, and that was true if you look statistically and just the eye test last year. Um, this team does lose two awesome players in at the linebackers in Shaka Hayward and Darius Joyner, but they return Cam Dillon at linebacker, who's great. They return excellent defensive backs in Jalen Stinson and Brandon Johnson, but there's this whole potentially more positive meta narrative here that again I was going to really drill down on and I'm trying to compress but the meta narrative here and where you can take positives out of this maybe not directly related to this game but separate from this game so Dylan who's going to be one of maybe their best linebacker this year he was a transfer from Columbia and Stinson and Johnson these two great defensive backs they'd been kind of languishing on the roster of like a quote-unquote shitty defense at Duke um all of these guys Along with Joyner, who's going to be gone now, but he was awesome at linebacker for them last year. And he was also an FCS transfer, I think from Western Illinois. Um, All of these guys I just listed, they just played way, way, way better last year because the new coaches were way, way, way better at coaching defense than the old coaches were, i.e., the same place Northwestern could theoretically get to long term after what we've gone through for the past couple of years. Duke is literally the roadmap for what you want, okay? Um, It's Mike Elko as head coach and Rob Smith at D.C. So that's the good news. It's kind of see the forest through the trees. Like, look at what Duke is doing. Same kind of place, same kind of talent pool. They did it with a lot of guys, uh, transfers who were not super heavily, like, transfers not everyone wanted, FCS transfers, right? So look at a guy like Richie Haggerty, who Northwestern pulled in in the offseason. An FCS transfer, like, you put that guy in the right system, in the right hands, he could really explode, right? Um, These are good news kind of things. We could follow this path um, and and find success there long term. Short term, it's just bad news. Sorry. (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) this, this team is super well coached. They have a defensive minded head coach. Rob Smith was a really underrated DC who they brought in and had a ton of success. It's an attacking scheme. They attack from everywhere to generate a good pass rush, even though they have they don't have good defensive ends. And unlike where Northwestern is sitting right now, Duke's best defensive player is probably a defensive tackle. Dwayne Carter is this all ACC mammoth right in the middle of the line. He's awesome. They're going to put another 300-pounder next to him, and they're going to be great. This D is just a big problem for us. Duke's got a good D. And uh, offensively, Scus? I don't know how to put this. But (laughs) Riley Leonard got a lot better after playing Northwestern in Week 2 of last season. He finished the year with 64% completion, just shy of 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns to only six picks, 
Oh, and he was Duke's leading rusher with 700 yards, 13 TDs, and a 5.6 average. And he's back along with nine of his other starting offensive friends and virtually every other player that caught or carried the ball last year. That's right. Duke is rolling out a unit with great experience, uh, chemistry, a full calendar year about Mike Elko's system, and a ton of depth. Um, I like I, I don't know what else to say here. Like, they they lost their right guard. That's it. <laughs> like, it's crazy. All the running backs who carried the ball plus Leonard averaged four and a half yards per carry or more. Um, Leonard plus the O line means they don't give up sacks. They dropped to an almost historic uh low of sacks allowed last year. I mean, like I like I looked back what, 15 years in Phil Steele and, and it's as low as they got. Um, they don't they didn't turn the ball over. They're they're plus 16 in turnover mar- rate last year. Um, Duke was the most explosive on offense they've been in forever. Uh, I, I like I guess you can hope for regression to the mean on some of this stuff, but more than likely they they match or um, get slightly better given all the experience and and the second year in the system, et cetera. And that just like like Duke's going to be a force in the ACC. Yeah, this is and we're, and we're on the road too, so you know that that's that's going to be fun. a million degrees and humid, which has always been a always been difficult for NU in September yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, even if we were doing a full Duke preview, <clears throat> we wouldn't really be going deep on their schedule because they're non-conference. Duke's going to get after it in the ACC this year. Yep. Like, this team can do a lot of stuff. Um, so they, they yeah. do open the year with Clemson, but then they get to lick their wounds and play Lafayette right? before, and, we, uh, before we come to well, I, I mean, I will root hard for them in week one. Or I, yeah. zero, whatever week that is. Exactly. I, it's week one. Week like, one. for them to beat Clemson, which they totally could do. God, that'd be and then, and then massive letdown game. It may, like, from our lips to God's ears, may it happen. But we've seen some good Duke teams over the years, and this is a team with a good defense and a maybe great offense. I mean, they're they're just really good. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation, and go Cats! Uh, following the Duke game, we come back home uh, to take on Minnesota on uh, September 23rd. Um, John, let's uh, let's talk about P.J. Fleck and the go for D. Hey, so remember how I just did this whole big thing about Minnesota, like Duke and and I had this whole big thing, and now I have to compress it and <clears throat> find all these ways to save time. Minnesota's super-duper easy. I could literally just run back what I said last year and be like, I'm done, and then just call it. <clears throat> just, be, yeah, remember everything I said last year? That, again. Why? Because that's what Minnesota was. That's what Minnesota has been the last couple of years. <clears throat> Here's a point of reference. Linebacker Mario, Mariano Sori Martin was easily Minnesota's most impactful player, again, for a defense that couldn't get sacks, wasn't great at stopping the run relative to yards per carry, and didn't stack up tackles. And it 
didn't matter at all for the exact same reasons as last year because the Gophers were top three in time of possession in the nation. Again, behind only service academies, no one touched the damn ball against this team. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. I'm putting a pin. So, I mean, sorry, Martin is gone. And he's been a super impact player for Minnesota over the past couple of years. But they really haven't had that many of those. And it hasn't mattered. So he's gone. But they do return Justin Wally, a legit awesome cornerback. They have a great matchup corner. And Tyler Newbin at safety. And I bring those two guys up because those two guys combined for seven interceptions last year. For Minnesota, that's like 50 interceptions. Because if you throw a pick against that team, at least last year and the year before, <laughs> you didn't touch the ball for the rest of the quarter. Like that's like they just strangled you. Um, <laughs> a Minnesota interception is equivalent to like age and dog years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's it. I'm done. That's it. The only thing that matters relative to this defense is the offensive side. It's if the Gophers are going to be ball hogs again. So, I mean, I'll just throw out a name. And I know we're not getting deep into this stuff, but I mean, I just... Thomas Gordon. There's a guy. Thomas Gordon is a guy where you could he could be going underneath over this defense that's like lost its most impact linebacker and has its best like cover guy to the outside and you're finding ways to get him underneath and throw completions and move the ball and move the chains um and and make hay against this defense but again it all it's just scuzz's again i've wasted too much time let's just go to scuzz's side of the ball here take it away scuzz it is a new era in minnesota on offense uh no ibrahim no Tanner Morgan, no Trey Potts, no Kirk Chiraka, no Dylan Wright, no All-American center, no 400-pound offensive lineman. Um, that's that, that all being said, this team isn't exactly starting quite from, from scratch, uh, as I just made that sound. But um, so like the, the thing they have going for them is that last year, uh, kind of surprisingly, frankly, um, the Minnesota coaching staff started shifting from Tanner Morgan to Ethan Kaliakmanis. Um, and some of that was injury related, but some of it was not. Um, in fact, when I went to the game with my dad in Minneapolis in November, uh, there were a lot, there were like a fair number of optimistic fans of sporting Kaliakmanis jerseys, um, kind of fully bought into the new era. And I, I was kind of thinking to myself, like, doesn't Morgan give them a better chance to win and, and, but whatever it, it, it is what it is. Um, I'll say like Kalek Manis's stats didn't really wow anyone last year. Um, he also had to run, run the gauntlet of, I mean, he, he played the majority of Penn state, Iowa and Wisconsin games. Um, now the Wisconsin game was the eye opener. It was the last, the last one that he really played in. Uh, Tanner Morgan came back for the bowl game. Uh, he threw for 320 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. 65% of his passes were complete. Um, that's pretty damn good against what was a good, if not great, Wisconsin defense last year. If Kalek Manis could come close to that going forward, like Minnesota's going to be just fine overall in offense. Um, behind that, he has kind of like one thing going for him, one thing going against him, and one like question mark, I'll say. Uh, the offensive line, which has been a massive strength for Minnesota in the past, is a shell of itself. They have two returning starters this year, but but extremely little experience. Last year they had only one like technical returning starter, but 
their center was a first team all American by the end of the year. Like, like they had a lot of depth and they had a lot of like backup experience. That is not true this year. And the pedigree, the recruiting pedigree of the guys that are in the, the, the starting, you know, the, the two deep is, is not on par with prior years. Uh, so that's a, that's a big change. And that is the, that is the number one factor that puts the Minnesota defense in play. As John described, like this Minnesota team is not going to be, time lords in 2023 like they were in the past two seasons and that's going to change their fortunes a little bit i think um wide receiver and tight end on the other hand is a strength so they returned three key guys uh leading receiver from last year daniel jackson one of the best tight ends in the country in um brevin span ford and then chris ottman bell <laughs> i think in his sixth year he, he didn't do great last year because of injury but he's back um running backs a question mark uh the o-line in particular puts these guys in a hole before the first snaps but um and, and, and literally the, the Gophers are starting over like, like Trey Potts and Ibrahim Campbell had like 99.9% of the carries last year. They're both gone. Uh, however, Sean Taylor, uh, I'm sorry, Sean Tyler ran for 1000 yards at Western Michigan last year. He's a, a grad transfer. And Zach Evans was the number one recruit in Minnesota's recruiting, recruiting class in 2022. And freshman Darius Taylor and Marquise Williams are the top recruits this year. So they have a loaded running back room a huge question mark at offensive line and then like a returning QB with a fair amount of promise, but not a lot of, um, you know, proven production. I like, I think they have a lot to offer overall on offense, but I, I, I do not believe they can come close to what they've done in the last couple of years of um, kind of accounting for and papering over their defense. And that I think that changes their, their standing in the pecking order in the West this year. Uh, so, you know, we get Minnesota after, uh, they open the season against Nebraska, Eastern Michigan, and then they're at North Carolina. So we see them after a road trip. So it's kind of the second road trip in a, in a row, uh, North Carolina could be decent this year. Um, who knows for sure. I mean, they got an amazing quarterback theoretically. I, you know, haven't dove deep into the North Carolina offense, but, uh, you know, so I I don't know well, what, yeah, to, what yeah, what to we'll make ha- of like we'll have a chance to see this offensive line. I mean, it, it's it's weird for me because you know we've definitely shoveled you a fair amount of doom and gloom here. Minnesota is one of those ones where, on one hand, over the past two years, this is a team where like based on the way we've been just constructed on the in the defensive trenches we've just been like we just don't have a chance here like this team is just going to hang us out and that's what they did but if you want to kind of be like look like as long as we're talking about hey maybe there's a chance that Minnesota's o-line just with all these new pieces doesn't gel well i mean especially early in the season there is a chance and we're not going to go deep into it right now the northwestern does find some new pieces on the defensive line that do potentially gel in some meaningful way and if you mix those two things together maybe it produces something positive here that suddenly you know minnesota is certainly a team that historically we've had success against and i think there are potentially some pieces and there might be something to be found there again i'm not trying to sell you magic beans here but Minnesota is definitely after having it so easy under the Ibrahim and like the 400 pound fatties era, like they're going to be working through some stuff and, you know, maybe we can find a way to capitalize on that. 
Uh, following Minnesota, uh, we wrap up September with a home game against Penn State. Um, not expecting a torrential downpour, you know, massive weather event that you know, kept us nominally in the game last year. But, you know, who's to say? It is uh, the end of September, so anything could happen. But, uh, you know, Penn State's getting a lot of buzz nationally, um, you know, it's being a very, very talented team. And I, I know I know, John P.J. Mustafer is now playing for the Broncos, but the rest of that Penn State D is going to be pretty solid, right? Yeah. I mean, and the Mustafer piece is a good thing. We'll kind of arrive there. Penn State is is weirdly kind of <laughs> two of the only it's funny, two of the only the only two full defensive previews that will be released were Ohio State and Michigan. And just to remind everyone, like to your point of like everyone talking about Penn State this year, like Penn State is basically a defensive lineman and Ohio State defensive lineman pick six away from maybe having been the second best team in the Big Ten last year. Like it was that close. Penn State was a great football team. Defensively, they're kind of the inverse of Ohio State because Ohio State is just like this pretty bad, mediocre to bad defensive crew with this vein of excellence up the middle. Penn State's got some problems up the middle and they're just stacked everywhere else. Um, So (laughs) this team going into this season is effing terrifying if you have to throw the football. First of all, it's Manny Diaz, Mr. Insanity Attack from all places at once on defense. And he is coaching three of the best rush ends in the conference in Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson. And then mega recruit Danny Dana Sutton going to be working into that group. Those three guys are monsters. And two of the best outside linebackers in the conference in Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. And maybe the best cornerback in the conference in Kalen King. It's a nightmare. Do not throw the ball against this team. It's a horror show. But as Sam said, they lose PJ Mustafer in the middle. And again, like we've tooted this guy's horn like crazy. That's maybe the biggest defensive loss in the conference. He's awesome. I mean, an absolute steal for Sam's uh, Broncos. But in the Big Ten playing Big Ten football, you could not ask for more from a defensive tackle than what PJ Mustafer does. And he's gone. They don't have a trusted middle linebacker either. So you're talking about a team that's losing this titanic space eater uh, at defensive tackle, and they don't have a trusted middle linebacker behind him either. And then this other piece is not only are they losing Mustafer, but their interior defensive line, if you look at like the two deep or even the three deep, it's not just green and inexperienced, it's small. And that's one of those things where like we've been talking about, I mean, obviously Iowa but like the, and we think a lot of times with the offensive line, and we talked a lot of Scuzz has talked ad nauseum about like the way that like it seemed like Minnesota was siphoning all those traditional Iowa offensive linemen for the past couple of years and getting all of the fatties up to Minneapolis. Well, like defensive line, Penn State's got a bunch of guys in like the 260 range at defensive tackle. Um, and what this all means is no one's no one's stupid, especially in the West where they they're so familiar with this team. Everyone's going to try to get at Penn State the same way. They're going to try to pound it up the middle because you don't want to throw at this team. And it looks like they have a little bit of an underbelly that you can get at right through the middle of the field. I don't see how we should be any different. However we can, by hook or by crook, 
we should try to grind yards here, grind yards up the middle. Um, this is the kind of game that's a big test for Mike Bajakian. Um, in like a post Fitz world, like can Jake find a way to do those hard yards with some creativity without just drowning this football team under just like repetitive schemes and things like that? Like we're going to find out in a game like this because I don't see how there's another way to go at this defense than that. Um, let's talk about that offense first, guys. So I think I, I think it was the Michigan preview I talked about this, that basically, the exception of Michigan and Maryland, the whole East is resetting on offense. Um, and I think of all, like, particularly a quarterback, every, everybody's got a new, Q, new QB, but um, it, it goes beyond that at most places. But of all the offenses that are starting over, if you will, I think this one has the highest upside. Um, and it's not just because of Nick Singleton and, and Kedron Allen, but um, so uh, last year Sean Clifford um, was pretty good for for Penn State, um, but he, you know he, he he's gone. The top wideouts are gone, and while they were fine last year, they, I I just didn't think they were great. Like they they scored a ton of Penn State scored a ton of points per game. I think they averaged thirty five, but these guys just didn't have incredible production. I mean, it was it was certainly Clifford's best year. Um, but there's a lot of thoughts that uh, sophomore Drew Aller, who's the presumed new starter for Penn State, can match or even exceed Clifford's numbers here in 2023. And um, I mentioned this a second ago. His best move is just going to be handing off. Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are straight fire from the backfield. They are two electric backs um, that were really good last year. Uh, the offensive line isn't the most experienced, but they bring back a lot of talent. They've got a much higher like pedigree than, than say, Ohio State um, or certainly anybody else in the East, save Michigan. So this is probably the second best line in, in, in the East. Um, the top, I, you know, I mentioned that the top receivers from last year are gone, but but Andrew Lambert Smith uh, and tight end Theo, Theo Johnson, those are the two returners with like significant number of catches. They were the most explosive of the whole receiver core last year. Um, and there's, you know, as always with Penn State, there's a lot of talented depth. Um, you know, offensive coordinator Mike Yurich really struggled in his first year in 2021. And, and it was like, <laughs> I distinctly remember in, in, in my preview going to 2022, just talking about how like <laughs> he came in and like it was, it was going to be a brand new day for Penn State on offense and it, and it, and it, Absolutely wasn't, but they he figured it out last year. They they jumped over ten points per game. They were much much more explosive. They had a far better sack rate, fewer turnovers. Um, certainly, some of that is a testament to to Sean Clifford in his comfort. Some of it is a testament to Yurchich. Um, Drew Aller played in nine games last year. I mean, it was pretty sparingly, but he he played. He looked fine. Got you know got some some game speed, etc. He's extremely talented. And if he can stay clear of the turnovers, I think this offense is going to come together really nicely. And I, I don't think Penn State has got what it takes to knock off a of Michigan and, and really contend for the for the division. But um, save for that, I, I think everything else is possible for them. Uh, one thing to note as we kind of look at uh, Penn State's schedule you know, West Virginia and Delaware, they're, they're first two. That's all well and good. They're at Illinois, and they're home for Iowa before uh, traveling to Evanston. So, you know, coming off um, an Iowa game. So I, it'll I, be interesting I, to see if that makes any 
you know any difference. I joked about UTEP Incarnate Word being a physical affair. This is an actual physical affair. <laughs> yeah, I'm. It's let's put it this: I don't expect Penn State's offense to move the ball against Iowa's defense because I don't expect anyone to move the ball against Iowa's defense this year. If they do, watch out. Um, if if they do, then then we're not going to want what's coming. I don't think that's going to happen though. That's more about Iowa than Penn State. I would remember here just one thing to kind of highlight here, and, and maybe this is like highlighting a positive, but as we all remember, there was a great leveler when we played Penn State, which was one of the several biblical weather events that Northwestern played in last year, that absolute just ridiculous weather system that we played Penn State in. And I bring that up just because I think they're, they're occasionally, and, and we'll get to this again several weeks from now when we get into the actual Northwestern previews and everything, but Always remember that Ohio State and Penn State are the two games that should remind you how good the back seven of our defense is capable of playing if they're provided with any kind of oxygen. And in that, in the case of those two games, the oxygen was these great leveling weather events. And in that game, like, for example, like Rod Hurd, Garnett Hollis, those guys were awesome in that game. And yeah, you remember the fumbles and you remember like wet balls and things like that, but remember the hits too. Those guys came up and leveled guys and put guys on the ground. And it was just like the weather was a leveler. And on one hand, it's like, look, we can't expect a weather event like that this year. And if it's like nice and sunny and stuff and we run back the defensive line, you know, performance we had over the course of last season, then Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are absolutely going to explode in this game. But you have also seen what Northwestern's defense can look like against Penn State when something happens to level things a little bit for our back seven. And if that kind of thing could be some sort of improved performance on the defensive line, then maybe we get something and maybe that helps keep this keep this game closer. Does Penn State have what it takes to hang with Michigan and Ohio State at the top of the East? Ohio State, yes. Michigan, no. Okay. Yeah, I would say the same thing. But again, I like it, Aller, right? Like, I mean, if he's the real deal, then they have an absolutely phenomenal backfield. <laughs> like, it's as good as anybody's. If I mean, if were he to be awesome, you put him with those two backs, and it's like, oh my god. So, so I guess we'll see. I st- I still don't think that that can aspire to Michigan's level. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, Michigan's the standard right now, for sure. Yeah. All right. So we will wrap up our first half with our homecoming game, a game against Howard. Um, you know, this is a team, and I'm not making the joke. I'm just <laughs> I was, right now. I'm the, not your tone had me thinking you were going to. So. I really nope, thought you I, were I, too. I, I, for those, for those who don't know what we're referring to, Sam has made the, the Howard, is he going to bring his friends joke for virtually every year on the podcast because it's time honor tradition. Howard has typically not. shown up on somebody's schedule in the Big Ten, and um, it's, uh, yeah. So thank you for making the joke for me so I didn't have to do it. Appreciate it. Um, John, let's, let's talk about the Howard D as, as much as we can. Well, it's funny that you brought up the fact that – because this guy makes a really good point. Like this joke has come up before because other teams have scheduled Howard. And that's a really big deal because why the hell haven't we been scheduling Howard? Like for decades. It makes all the sense in the world and – it's just like one of those things where 
again, like we UNH, Illinois State, SIU, all the other close calls, no one cares who your FCS is, a game is against. If you're scheduling an FCS team, no one cares. It's just the FCS win. Howard's sitting right there. So from my perspective, this is a team, the MIAC has six teams right now. Howard had the number four run defense in the MIAC, not a loaded FCS conference by any stretch of the imagination. Only one of the six teams had a winning record. Um, they had the number four run defense out of those six teams. An absolute dumpster fire of a 1-11 USF team, and I'll be coming back to this game probably down the road. Um, USF went 1-11 last year, and their only win was Howard. And in that game, USF, a horrible football team on both sides of the ball, gained 205 yards at 7.6 yards per carry and ground out those yards on the way to its only win. Going back to this FCS thing, Howard was 208th in the Sagarin ratings at the end of the season last year. That's two spots ahead of Western Illinois. Western Illinois was 0-11. By comparison, Southern Illinois at the end of the day last year had a better Sagarin rating than Colorado State, USF, and UTEP, okay? So again, it's like this Howard thing should have happened a long time ago. So, and on top of all that, it's just generally cool that we're play, playing arguably America's foremost HBCU, um, this elite academic institution. It's a good fit. It's weird this is the homecoming game. It's not weird at all that we're playing Howard. Um, I love the fact that we get to play this defense um, and may this matchup be first of many. Uh, what one kind of note, Scuzz, uh, when you look at the Howard offense, is there's a name we might rec- we might recognize. Yeah, Wayne Dennis transferred to uh, to Howard. He does not appear in there too deep off of spring practice. Um, but who knows? It'll be interesting to see if he plays in this game. Um, he was someone we had, you know, some high hopes for at Northwestern, and uh, obviously didn't work out. But um, yeah, we we may well see him um, in October. Uh, this that that being said though this offense is very run heavy so last year um you know basically a 2 to 1 run to pass ratio um it's a very you know ball control uh scheme that that's that's the whole whole idea i like the quarterback Quentin Williams doesn't run that much but um and and they're not particularly explosive but i'd say they're reasonably efficient uh they average 5 yards per carry they had a pretty okay td to pick rate um, they did give up a lot of sacks last year, uh, but they averaged 28 points per game. That scoring was heavily weighted toward the end of the year. Like I think they won five of their last six. Um, they returned the quarterback Williams. They returned their starting running back, uh, a fair amount of the offensive line. Um, receiver has some turnover. So again, it's interesting that, that, that Dennis doesn't appear in the 2D, but, so we'll have to see. But um, I like this is going to be a competent offense. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty worried about their ability to run on us. Um, that being said, like there's there's undoubtedly a massive talent differential here as as there is anytime Northwestern plays an FCS foe, and you know we we have we have seen Northwestern lose these games in the past, um, more often than we'd like. Yeah, more often than we'd like. Um, so we'll we'll have to see how this plays out. But um, this is you know certainly the best bet for a victory uh, for the Cats this fall. 
Yeah, I think a lot of you are looking at Howard really hard because a lot of you are circling a doomsday scenario here and being like, this is the tipping point, yes or no, on the doomsday scenario. I mentioned that I was going to come back to this earlier. We have an excellent barometer here because USF, who was a nightmare of a football team last year, as I said, played this team last year. I think they won 42-21 or 42-20 or something like that. And it's it's, I think you can look at something like that and be like, that seems like something that, that might line up here. And there's some good and some bad. I think one of the bad things is is our, our defensive line and, and thereby our run defense last year, we never found the basement of that. Like, sad, sad but true. SIU and Miami of Ohio both were great running against us last year. And... As bad as our run defense was last year, USF's was significantly worse. I think they were like second worst in the entire country. But Howard did great running the ball against them. Howard's top two running backs in that game gained 151 yards at about seven yards a carry. So they had no trouble running the ball against a really bad FBS run defense. No trouble at all. And again... If we've found solutions based on some of the new guys coming in, some of these freshmen, maybe some of these transfers, and we found some solutions to elevate that D-line over what it was last year, then maybe this all changes. But again, if we're still a mess in that situation, Howard's defense is probably not going to be able to stop whatever we're rolling out on offense. They're a really, really bad defense. Again, a really bad USF offense put up 40 on them. But just as Scuzz said, and, and just as the UCF USF game last year shows... Howard's got no trouble running the ball against a lot of teams, and that includes an FBS team if you're rolling out a bad run defense. So that's the situation. It's still probably overall our, our best shot at a win, like Scuzz said, but that's that's the straight scoop on it. All right, so that takes us through the first half of the schedule. It also takes us right up to our bye week, um, you know, bye week right after Howard, so we can kind of rest up and you know pull everything together. For the back half, which is Nebraska, Maryland, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Illinois. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about them. Uh, but real quick before we go, uh, just a, a couple other you know kind of news and notes as, as we you know get closer and closer to the opening of camp. Um, you know, at Big Ten Media Day, uh, David Braun said he was going to be bringing in a, a few more people uh, to uh, you know help round round things out. Um, you know, he's never been a head coach before. He's never like, at any level, uh, much less, you know, he's never coached at the FBS level before. So he's uh, bringing in Skip Holtz uh, as the special assistant to the head coach. Um, you know, this is a guy who's got tons of experience as a head coach. Uh, you know, he's, you know, won the USFL the past two seasons in Birmingham. Um you know, I, I think as um, as a mentor, as, a, as an advisor, I think this is a, a great move. As far as we can tell from what, you know, other things we've heard, I think there's also a, a, another coach that they announced on the defensive side that, that, that would be, they'd be hiring in today. Um, Vokalek, I believe is his name. Yeah, D, DJ Vokalek. Yeah. Um, he's the Southern Illinois defensive coordinator who uh, I, I believe the hire is to uh, backfill Braun's, you know, position as defensive coordinator, even though Braun is still going to be co- you know, coaching and calling the plays on defense, but, you know, 
wearing both hats, there's a, a spot for another defensive assistant. So I believe um, that that is Vokalek. Yeah, but so as, far, so as best we can tell, there are, you know, every college football team has 10 spots for assistant coaches that are allowed to coach players, uh, you know, be on-field coaches, along with four grad assistants. Um, as far as we can tell, Skip Holtz will not be one of those 10. Um, he, he's essentially playing the same role as like an analyst, like when um, Steve Sarkeesian went to go be uh, an offensive analyst at Alabama or the way that Sean Gleason is an analyst for Northwestern's offense this year. And so uh, our expectation is that um, you know Holtz is very much going to be focused on the organization of the program. Um, I, I, I presume that would, that would play in with uh, recruiting and, and the planning for 2024 and, and beyond uh, game planning, you know, r- running things uh, within the broader, pro- broader program. Honestly, these are, these are things that Holtz was um, considered very good at as a, as a very CEO like leader at um, USF and, and Louisiana tech. Um, his two previous uh, college stops, I think his, he was let go from those places more for on-field results and just kind of a lack of, um, uh, you know, th- whether it was scheme or connection to the players, et cetera. But I think, I think it's a just it's an interesting perspective because that's probably not the type of role that he's playing with Northwestern. So um, just worth calling out. It's, it's very organizational and, and back room, uh, the role that he's going to be playing. Yeah. And, and Vokalek again, we're, a little bit cardo ahead ahead of the horse because we don't. This is something that Pete Thamel is reporting. We don't have this official, but if it is true, um, kind of the other piece of that is it really does let kind of as Scuzz was saying, like it lets Braun really kind of have a foot in both worlds, right? I mean, Braun was hired with an awesome resume to be our defensive coordinator, and Vokalek has great experience with Braun, two years with him at UNI. And I think one of those two years, I believe they were each coaching different parts of the linebacker core. So they have a very close working relationship. And Vokalek's a guy who goes back decades, a lot of coaching experience, a lot of assistant head coach, a lot of defensive coordinator. Um, I think he was kind of like a, a unspecified assistant at Nebraska last year. But I mean, I think he was just kind of like an associate member of the staff. And then by February, he was already hired as SIU's defensive coordinator and then supposedly is leaving to come to this job. So again, it's like a steady hand working relationship, all the things that we've been talking about, all the things that, that Scuzz was saying. I mean, it's, it's for the year that we're going to be working through this year. I think these are all good things that are going to help Ron and are going to help him, you know, give him the freedom and the relationships to just maximize, you know, get his feet wet as a head coach, but maximize his talents as a defensive coordinator too. So, yeah, I mean, I, I is there anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight? There is one specific thing that I wanted to mention because I think it's one of those yes. important timestamp things. And I think, you know, long-term it might matter. It might not matter. I really want it to matter. Um, Carson Grove, uh, wide receiver from C High School in Arlington Heights, Illinois, committed to Northwestern this week. That's a really big deal. We obviously know big names have left the program, big names have decommitted, some have happened over the past couple of days, but let's focus on Carson Grove, okay? This is a guy, does he have other Power 5 offers? No, but he has several MAC offers. He has North Dakota State. He's a small burner of a wide receiver who has like potential in the return game, a couple different things. And at this point in time, 
he made the commitment to come to Northwestern. First recruit to make that commitment in the post-Pat Fitzgerald era. Um, and just in a general way, at a time when Northwestern Nation is really going through some things, this is a guy who stepped up and said, I want to be a Wildcat. I'm coming to this program, right? They made that decision at this point in time. Northwestern Nation will not forget that. It's a big deal. He'll always have a really warm place in Northwestern hearts. You know, if his commitment leads to him signing with Northwestern and he comes and he's a Wildcat, he's always going to be beloved by Northwestern Nation for that. So, I mean, I've, I can't remember ever wanting to root for a guy to have more success at Northwestern than Carson Grove for him making this commitment when he did. So, again, welcome to the team and may we watch you burn past many a Big Ten defensive back in the future. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazba and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.